Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. Hey, a heads up. This episode contains mentions of gun violence and suicide. So please take care while listening. The first time I came out, I was saying that I'm, I'm your exact same son and I'm gay. This is this is a little bit more like saying I'm not the person you think I am. And that's I think that's more likely to be hurtful. This is Death, Sex and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. Jack came out to his parents when he was 19 years old. He was in his first semester of college and home for Thanksgiving break in West Virginia, where I'm also from. The way I got myself sort of psyched up to do it is that, you know, I I had a, I figured out my scholarships for school, so I knew school was paid for, and then I got a, a part-time job on campus, so I knew I could pay for my room and board. And I was like, okay, you know, if if this goes poorly... I'm going to be okay. Um, like, I'm, I'm going to know where I'm going to be tomorrow. So Jack nervously sat his parents down and told them. My mom said, tell me something I don't know. And my dad was shocked. Um, Your mom really so, said that? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> she, she not, it, not, not in so few words, but yeah. I mean, she, she looked at me like, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I suppose she and dad had not talked about it because my dad just stared at me for a solid 30 seconds, kind of slack jaw. And the, the thing that he said to me, I'll never forget this. He, he, he said to me, you know that everything's going to be harder. And, and I was like, yeah, but there's, there's no other way. <laughs> you know, this is just, this is the truth. Um, and he said, okay. And that, you know, we never really had any friction about my sexuality after that. Jack is now 30, and that's not his real name. He wanted to protect his family's privacy. He wrote into us back in the spring, around the time that my book, Let's Talk About Hard Things, came out. We asked you all to tell us about the most difficult conversations you've ever had and the ones you haven't had yet. 
Jack wrote in about a hard conversation with his dad, but not the one about his sexuality. We were really close when I was when I was younger. Um, he was kind of my my hero when I was growing up, right? Like I thought my dad was the greatest person on the planet. I thought he should be president of the United States. Like, uh, but as I got older, um, he and I kind of drifted apart because I think our worldviews really changed and we had fewer and fewer things in common that we could really talk about. Um, and sort of the last bit of common language that we have left is we can talk about guns, but like, so we, we retreat to that a lot, Mm -hmm. but over the last 10 years or so, you know, I, I've just completely exited gun culture. It's not something that I spend any time with anymore. And so the thing I need to talk to him about is that, you know, I, I don't really want to own guns anymore and I don't really want to, I don't really want to go shooting. I don't, I don't want that to be a big part of my life. When you just say that the common language, you know, that, that a lot has fallen away, but, but talking about guns is something you can still do. Um, Describe for me in your family, like what was what was the the conversation around guns? Like, what do you talk about when you talk about guns? Um, well, I mean, you know, it, I feel like my dad talks about guns like you think a lot of men talking about cars. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the mechanics of it and the the numbers and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but also, uh, there's there's definitely a lot of conversation around like how important it is to have guns because you know they allow you to protect yourself and they um they are a freedom that's you know endemic to the country and uh and how important it is to um learn about them and and use them in a way that's safe that is something that he likes to talk about a lot and I do very much respect and you know also hunting is a major you know part of his life there's many aspects. And and now like when you when you talk about guns in your life now, like what what sorts of guns are you talking about? Uh well, so especially as he's gotten older, my dad has really become a, a collector. Um so he has a lot of guns and uh of different vintages and varieties. So so a lot of it's I mean I I see my parents I don't know, five or six times a year generally. And so every time I arrive at their house, the very first thing the dad wants to do is show me all of the new guns that he's gotten and talk, and talk about why he's gotten them and you know what their various merits are and, and why this one's really exciting and how this one has this special provenance and all of, all of that sort of stuff. Um, so it's really become kind of a collector's obsession for him. Mm-hmm. Does he have everything from... Like handguns to you know semi-automatic weapons and hunting rifles. Like what what yes. kind of guns? Yes, uh-huh. um, he has lots of handguns. He has you know vintage military. He has assault rifles. He has um, he's got everything. <laughs> <laughs> and describe the community that you grow up in that your your parents still live in. What, what's it like? Um, so I grew up in, uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, um, which is a, 
<laughs> for West Virginia, it's a city. Yeah, it's um, a place I know for, well. Yeah, yeah, uh, but you know, for the rest of the country, it's a small town, um, and you know, it's a college town. And most of what my family did, um, our primary recreation um, was, you know, getting outside, and and uh, we, my family has a farm, um, so we would, uh, you know, hang out on the farm and. Um, go shooting and do those sorts of things. Well, let me ask you, because I think, I feel like your family having a farm can mean really different things in different parts of the world. In in your part of West Virginia, what did it mean that you had a family farm? What was that land like? Uh, It's not agricultural. Um, I think, and that's common in West Virginia, you know, um, it's not a wealthy state, but I think there are a lot of people who have some acreage to where they live. And was there like a hunting camp there or what was it? What was there at the farm? Um, my my dad um, and, well, you know, the rest of my family, too, would hunt on our farm. Yeah. Um, but also it was, you know, kind of a place that my family would gather to um, get together and catch up and and see one another. And, and it was a huge part of my childhood mm-hmm. of just hanging out on the farm, playing with the dogs, jumping in the river. Um you know, there there was a barnyard with some animals in it that you know, there's some chickens and a horse and and that sort of thing. And and the farm is the thing that really feels like home when I think of my childhood. Jack says he started shooting with his family when he was seven years old. And when he was twelve, he went hunting for the first time with his dad. He shot a rabbit, but he didn't instantly kill it. And he says its suffering was pretty horrible for him to watch. After that, Jack says he didn't like to go hunting. But he did enjoy some aspects of shooting with his dad, like when they'd go out and shoot clay pigeons. Some of my best memories with him are shooting clays, just, you know, the orange discs. He would be so proud and so happy when I would, you know, um, like, uh, you can you can nest them together in the launchers and throw multiple at the same time. And, like, when I would hit a triple, I'd mm-hmm. hit three of them, like, right in a row. Um he would just be like, yes, like he'd just be so happy. And I can't, I do cherish those memories. Like that, that is the one gun thing that I can hold on to that I love. Um, yeah. Um, do you still go shooting with him? Uh, yeah, not as much as I used to, um, because, you know, oftentimes I'll try to deflect or stay busy in another way. He he always talks about how it's a sport and how a gun is just like a tennis racket. And I'm like, well, Dad, the tennis rackets can't kill people. But Do you say um, that? No, I don't. Uh-huh. But <laughs> I want to. But uh so I have I have sort of mixed feelings about that because I do still enjoy shooting sporting clays with my dad. So but you know, part of me is like, well, <laughs> if you're gonna you know take this this stance, you can't be wishy washy about it because I know that if I am, he'll drive a truck through through me <laughs> and be like, "Well, you're you're being hypocritical," and you know it, it won't. I see. Yeah. So, so the the prospect of the conversation happening it's intimidating, not just because of how it might change your relationship, but it's it's also like you feel like you've to stitch together your logic to not um, have it turn into like a political debate. Yes. Oh, very much so. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
And and my my father and I don't talk about politics. We haven't for many years. Yeah. Um, and you know that's sort of by mutual agreement. And I'm I'm okay with that. Like he can have different politics than me. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. It's just that you know w- when when we talk about politics, we get we we go round and round, and we don't hear each other. And you know, all he wants is for me to smile and or not smile and nod, but all, all he wants is for me to defer to him and tell him that, you know, I respect him as my father. And all I want is for him to listen to what I'm saying and, and tell me that, you know, he sees me as an adult. So, and neither of us can get that in a political conversation. So, <laughs> so that we just don't have them. Um, but I, I do worry that if I tell him, Hey, I'm kind of done with, with guns that he'll, uh, he'll turn it into a political conversation or see it as one. And feel it as a rejection. And, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And feel it as a rejection. And that part of it really, really scares me, not just because, you know, I don't want to hurt his feelings, but because my father's bipolar. Um, And, you know, uh, his, he is subject sometimes to extreme mood swings and, I worry that I could push him into a depression, then I don't want to do that. Mm. Um, can I just pause and ask about, um, have the number of firearms in the house ever been seen to be uh, a, a risk because of his mental health? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I did not realize that like on a conscious level as a kid, but, um, so in, 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 uh, this would have been 1999. So I was, I just turned nine, I guess, 10. Anyway, um, uh, when, uh, Bush v. Gore, um, the presidential election, uh, right at first, it, it seemed like Al Gore had won just barely. And I came home from school and my dad, I found my dad in um, in the gun room in our house, uh, sitting on the floor, you know, in almost in the fetal position, cradling one of his assault rifles, crying. And I asked him what was wrong, and he said that Al Gore was going to come take his guns. Um, and that was not the last time that, you know, he's had, you know, these episodes where he's terrified that someone's going to come take his guns away. And it, it was really scary. Um, I didn't know how to process that at that age. And there was another time when I was more of a teenager that, that my grandfather did have to come and, and we, we loaded all of my dad's guns into his car and he drove away and there were no guns in the house for a few months because my dad was really, really depressed. And I think there was some concern that he would hurt himself. Hmm. So, you know, I, once again, part of me thinks, oh, I'm not giving him enough benefit of the doubt. You know, he's very well medicated these days. He's pretty, he's, you know, more even than he has, than he was when he was younger. But I still, I don't know. I, I worry. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, as a, as someone who is from, West Virginia. Like, I have heard so many times people say in a dismissive way of, 
rural voters, you know, oh, my God, they think the government's going to come and take their guns away. Like, kind of like, look at these people who are, are so, um, uh, I don't know, like, ignorant uh, is, is how mm-hmm. I've heard that comment. And so, yeah. I, oh, so, yeah. so I wonder for you to tell that story and to see your dad, like it, it wasn't made up. Like he was, his experience of that moment was feeling really personally terrified. Um, oh, yeah. Like, how do you understand what, what he was feeling in that moment when he was cradling this, this weapon because of the election results? I mean, in in his in his world, you know, which I think is it sometimes intersects with the world that we actually live in, and sometimes doesn't. Um, you know, in, in his worldview, that's what could happen, and and the likelihood of that went way up. And and his collection, his uh, you know, the most important objects in his life to him, a thing that he uses to define himself, was going to be taken away. And I mean, I think for anyone, if 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 your defining trait, your your most important way of seeing yourself, someone's trying to take that from you. I don't know how you react to it any other way than that. Coming up, Jack talks about what prompted his shift in thinking when it came to guns and why he's still not sure whether he can have that hard conversation about it with his dad. I, I do need to talk to my mom about th- this. I, I need to ask her what she thinks because, you know, it, I don't live with my dad and she does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always have to consider carefully what I do because if I send him into a, you know, a funk, I'm not the one who has to deal with the fallout she is. Thank you to the many of you who joined our recent membership campaign to support Death, Sex, and Money. If you haven't yet, you can go to deathsexmoney.org slash donate to become a sustaining member. But one of the things our sustaining members supports is our internship program, and we are hiring an intern to join us in early 2022. Our show interns participate in every aspect of making our show, from pitching ideas to participating in episode edits and helping run our social media accounts. It is a lot of work, and it is also a lot of fun. And the deadline to apply is midnight on Friday, November 19th. This is a paid part-time position that begins in January, and we are still working remotely, so you don't have to be in New York City to apply. Go to wnyc.org slash careers for more details about eligibility and how to get your application in. On the next episode... After the accident, I just became stagnant. I couldn't do anything. Unintentional injuries are a leading cause of death in the U.S. Last year, nearly 200,000 people died accidentally. But what happens when you accidentally cause someone's death and you survive? Nobody talks about that person on the other side. Did they think we wake up in the morning and wanted this to happen? This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. 
On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Jack says he was in college when he noticed that the way he felt about guns and his childhood surrounded by them was starting to shift. I started noticing gun violence, you know, in the news. Um, and that was scary. I also started thinking back more in my childhood and, and thinking about, you know, the the times that we've already talked about with my dad where, you know, people were worried that he was a danger to himself. Um, and oh, when, when I, before I came out, long before I came out, um, when I was in my early teens, I, I had a short period of a lot of um, suicidal ideation and, and depression. And, you know, I thought about, well, if I do decide to kill myself, at least it'll be quick. And at the time, that was comforting. And saying it now, it sounds horrible, right? And, and it's just the thought that it's so easy. <laughs> hmm. It just, oh, it bugs me. Mm. And I know that guns are incredibly important to people. And I respect that. I really, really do. Like, you know, the hunting tradition is so important um, to a lot of people. And I don't think that that should be taken away from anybody. But I don't understand why, you know, my dad needs a ton of high-capacity assault weapons and you know, semi-automatic pistols and all these things that are just so dangerous. Like, so, so dangerous. I mean, when I was a little kid, you know, we drilled safety all the time. Like, you know, you never point a gun at a person. This is where the safety catches is on this gun. And this is, you know, how you make sure to clear every weapon before you or the second it's handed to you and and all of these different things, right? And that's a weird thing to be teaching a seven-year-old. Why? Why? I just don't understand why we need that responsibility to be placed on someone so young. And now I suppose maybe I resent it being placed upon me. How many guns do you and your husband have in your house right now? Um, I sold most of them. Um, my husband has a 22 target rifle um, and we still have his shotgun and my shotgun. Um, but I've disassembled them all. We have a safe because you have to have a safe. Um, like it's insane not to, but uh, I've also disassembled them. And um, our plan is to get a safety deposit box and take the bolt, which is, you know, an integral part of the, the gun um, to that safety deposit box and put it in there so that 
even if someone managed to break into our safe in our house, they would get a, you know, a useless object. Hmm. So if you have this conversation with your dad, where, where would it happen? How do you picture it? I'd have to do it with him in person. I need, I need him to see my face because I need him to know, like, know that I care. Hmm. Um, so I'd probably do it, you know, with him at his house or at our farm, one of the two. Do you feel like you need to tell your father this because you want to not be around his guns? <sighs> I mean, I'd prefer not to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose maybe that, I mean, maybe it's not as complicated as that. It might be just as simple as, I feel like my dad doesn't really understand me. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like this, in a way, would help. I'm just not sure it's something that he's going to be willing to hear. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to say, I don't want to be around guns because gun culture means these things to me now. When yeah. that's so important to him. And for him not to hear it as judgment, because it is judgment. Yeah, because it is. And, I, and you know, I, what I want to say to him is, Dad, I love you and I respect you. And this just isn't something that I want to be part of. And I, I mean... <laughs> I know he'll hear that as rejection because, I mean, that's really, I mean, that's what it is. You know, it's a rejection. And the alternative is so easy because all I have to do is just smile and nod. But I think he can tell that I'm more distant emotionally than I used to be. You know, a little bit, I'm, I'm, I say less, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't meet him in the middle in the conversation as much as I used to. And I think he can see that. And I think he doesn't know why. And I think he doesn't know how to ask. So I feel like I'm hurting him this way. Because you're withdrawing. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I know I'm going to hurt him the other way. Yeah. I want to go back to um, your mom. I'm I'm curious what the conversation with your mother would be like, because I don't know what her relationship is like with your dad. But when you're in a relationship with someone where you worry about um, extremes, swings and emotions, like I, I, I'm curious what her advice would be to you about how honest to be and and how much management and pretending um, she'd advise? You know, it's an interesting question. I, I, uh, I don't know. Um, my mom just wants us all to get along. Mm-hmm. My, 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 my dad and my younger brother have a more contentious relationship than my dad and I do um, because they... My dad and my younger brother have reached the point where they have zero things mm-hmm. in common. Um, so they really just don't interact well. And I know that that really bothers my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I have a feeling 
that she will say to me that uh, that that's not a good idea to to uh, try to you know push this conversation with him, and that you know she, she'll basically tell me to do the bare minimum um, where it, when it comes to guns, but but try to you know stay engaged with him because he deserves to uh you know have a good relationship with one of his sons and this is how he does it and if she says it's important for our family that he has a relationship with you and this is the way he knows how to have a relationship with you does that sway you one way or the other it does um, if if that's what she says i i i can't do that if if my mom tells me that she because what she would really be saying or the way that i would read that is is she needs me to have this relationship with him and i i couldn't do that to her i'm if you can't tell my mom and i are are a little bit closer than my dad and i are mm-hmm. <laughs> and i i can't bear the thought of hurting my mother like i really really can't do you think you know what you'll say, the words, have you thought about that? Or is that something that you will, you will get to when you decide whether you're going to do it? Oh, I've, I've had this conversation in my head a thousand times. And, you know, I go, I come at it from different angles. And I, I don't know what the best one is. I think, I think I'll have to be direct and just be like, yeah, you know, dad, I want you to know that I've sold most of my guns and that I don't feel the same way that I used to about guns in general and that I, I, I don't really want to, you know, continue to do things like going to the range. And I certainly don't want to go hunting or, or uh, do anything like that because it's just not something that feels good to me anymore. I think I have to keep it short. Yeah. One thing that um, when you were talking that really landed for me and I wonder what it would be like to hear as a parent is when you talked about the period of, of your youth when you when you were depressed and, and how you thought about guns and how I wonder if you ever said that to him, how he would hear that. <sighs> I don't know. I think it would make him feel guilty. And I don't want him to feel guilty. It's not his fault. He didn't do anything wrong, I don't think, as a parent. You know, he he tried to share his passion with me. And my passions changed. That's not... That's not a commentary on him. It's just a reality. Jack told me that if he did decide to have the conversation with his dad about guns, it would be during an upcoming trip home to West Virginia. But a few days after our conversation, and before going on that trip, Jack sent in an update. He'd written to his grandfather, his dad's dad, asking for his advice. And his grandfather had written him an email back. I'm just going to read a little bit of it, because I don't think I could put it better trying to paraphrase. So he said, I do not think it's dishonest to play the middle. 
It's no betrayal of your principles, nor is it lying. One can easily get over-principled here. Too much unneeded honesty can be bad stimulus. So do your best for gun control, applaud what you can in his ideas, and you will have found the middle ground. To get all holy about it, even though you feel that way, accomplishes nothing and leads to destructive places. Truth isn't black and white, and you certainly can't get there in one session. It has a practical side, and it's no betrayal of conscience to find a way to preserve the vital relationship by not saying everything you feel. And I think he's right. I Because it's a vital relationship that the most important thing to me is to preserve my relationship with my dad. And I'm trying so hard to find a way to improve it. But, you know, reading my earlier in this email, my grandfather lays out, you know, kind of the, the how my dad's illness originated and, and his experience with it and his experience with talking to my dad about these things. Cause he feels relatively similarly how, to how I do on guns. And I, I think he's right that there's, I, there's no way for me to have this conversation without really damaging this relationship. So I'm not going to. Um, but, you know, I, it does occur to me reading this. This is an email to someone from a parent about their child. You know, my grandfather talking about my dad. And it's so clear to me that he's spent, you know, 60 years trying to understand his son as best he can and, and work with him. And uh, he's doing the thing in this email that I always wished my dad tried to do with me. And it's really galling to see it so plainly. That's a listener we're calling Jack, who decided not to have that hard conversation with his dad, at least for now. But he did take that trip home, and he told us after thinking so much about his relationship with his dad and what he could and couldn't get from it, the trip went better than he expected. Thank you, Jack, for sharing your story with us. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Katie Bishop. The rest of our team includes Annabelle Bacon, Affie Yellow-Duke, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Sarah Dealey. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Instagram, at Anna Sale Picks, that's P-I-C-S. And the show is at Death, Sex, Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Erica Streit Kaplan in Newton, Massachusetts, who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Erica and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate or by texting DSM to the number 70101. Also, if you are struggling with thoughts of suicide or know someone who is, please ask for help. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline number is one 800 273 8255. While he was home, Jack did shoot clays with his dad, and his dad had a surprise for him. 
Jack is into cars almost as much as his dad is into guns. And his dad arranged for the two of them to tour a special collection of vintage automobiles. And my dad was really engaged with it and asking a lot of questions. And I don't know, it's just, I've never done something like that with him before, where it, it wasn't him trying to share his thing with me. It was him trying to give me an experience about something that I really care about. And I don't know, I didn't know that that was something that would occur to him to do. So obviously he is thinking about trying to improve our relationship in the same way that I am. And I think that's really what I needed. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.